0: You know, we have this great joy and hope that Christmas is going to be fun and exciting and impactful, and it's going to be all kinds of, you know, Christmas parties and gift giving and holiday excitement. And sometimes it it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes we find moments where we're just stressed out because of the Christmas season. Jesus really is the hope for all of us. The Bible's real clear that when uh, when the wise men came, I'm sorry, when the shepherds came, I've got Scott's... Uh, uh, giving talk on my mind, but when the when the shepherds came, the angels made a pronouncement that there would be glad tidings of great joy to all people. And the truth is, this glad tidings of great joy really is for all people. There is no segmented, there is no group that set aside that Jesus came just for them. There's no exclusionary group that puts Jesus out of the reach for who they are. That whether you're whatever creed, whatever tongue, whatever land you're from, that Jesus is for everybody. Past, present, future, Jesus really is for everyone. And sometimes we can feel excluded from that love of God. Sometimes we can feel far from that love of God. Sometimes we can feel on the fringe like that doesn't apply to us, even though scripture says it very, it very well does. Through the Christmas season, we can feel a mounting stress that tells us, well, maybe this Christmas isn't your best Christmas. That maybe this Christmas season, you're going to experience something different than what you anticipated or than what you expect. And it can lead to all kinds of breakdowns in our family life, in our relationships. It can lead to breakdowns at home and at work, but stress can mount and it can have real issues. I'd like to say that every time the holiday season comes, it's chipper, it's joyful, it's exciting, but we've all had those family dinners that were just awkward, right? You have two uncles fighting over politics, Or you have an aunt that won't talk to another aunt because she burnt the turkey or cooked it different than she would have cooked it. You have moments of tension when a child didn't get exactly what they wanted for Christmas, and that little brat's gonna pout all day, every day, until he gets what he wants. We've all had moments of time where Christmas hasn't been exactly what we anticipated, but it's been pretty stressful. So we we develop expectations that Christmas is supposed to be this feel-good season and for most of us uh, most of us it is and for most of the time it is but there going to be moments where stress just creeps in and can really mess up things in our life unrealistic expectations and unmet expectations are the biggest reason that we have stress at christmas time especially relational relational stress when we have mounting relational stress it's because we have expectations that are that are either unmet or unrealistic. The Bible actually points to this and tells us what they are and how this works out in our life and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But Christmas is a, as a season is an amplifier. It can amplify joy. I mean, I have never felt more joy than when my kids run under that tree and tear open one box after another. You know, the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And you, you really recognize that as a parent. And it's not about the amount of gifts and it's not even about the gift itself. It's about the anticipation and the surprise and they know that someone cared enough to put that present under the tree there's joy that mounts, there's joy that develops there. That is, man, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to understand unless you have kids and that Christmas season really kind of just develops and grows in your heart. But there's other times that Christmas can be an amplifier of pain and stress and issues. Maybe you've lost a loved one and there's gonna be an empty chair around a dining table. And because that loved one isn't there anymore, there's gonna be questions and wondering and wondering why. Maybe there's someone that you used to have fellowship with a loved one or a friend that you used to be in very close fellowship with and now you don't talk to them anymore. And so there's a different reason for an empty chair. Christmas can amplify the good and the bad in our life. The stress comes from both angles. However, God provides comfort no matter what we go through. The scripture is very clear that he provides comfort regardless of what we're going through. Psalms chapter 46 and verse 1, the first scripture for today. It'll go up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. But it says, God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in our time of need, that when we have need of him, he is always present to help, that he is our strength and our refuge, and the one word that sticks out there for me is refuge because we don't we don't really understand the idea of refuge too much in our culture. We might get this concept of refuge being a pile of blankets on our bed that we hide under to kind of stave off bad feelings of the day, but that's not a real good picture of a refuge. A refuge is a, it's a place of exclusivity where your troubles can't follow you. Honestly, what scripture is marking out is refuge. The refuge we have in him is a place of exclusivity just for you for you only, no one else is a part of this this station. And that you can run to it and you can hide under it and your your, your problems can't follow you, your stress can't find you. Uh, That he is a refuge, he's a protection and that he's a hiding place. So we know that in our stress or when mounting stress happens that Jesus himself becomes our refuge. He becomes the place we run to. The Bible also tells us that he's a strong tower that the righteous will run unto and they'll be glad. They'll be glad they found refuge and safety that we can run unto him and be safe in moments of stress, but we have to know how to run. We have to know the path to take. Because sometimes it's Well, it's easy to recognize we have stress. Sometimes it's very difficult to understand where we're supposed to go with that stress, how we're supposed to manage that stress, what we're supposed to do with that stress. We understand that when we have stress, seasonal stress, there are two factors. There's the things we can change and the things we can't change. There are things about life and stress that we can actively affect a change in. There are other things we can't, there's nothing we can do in our own power. We can't affect a change with even changing our own attitude. It really doesn't change the outcome. We can't really affect a change with our own strength. It really won't do much work and it really won't have an effect. The facts are that there are things we know are under our power to change and there are other things that, well, we can't. The Bible talks about this in two factions. In in uh, 1 John chapter two and verse 16, he said, this is a scripture we referenced last week. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So let me back up from last week. Last week, we dealt with this idea that we have an enemy, an adversary, who uses the world system to come against us. Part of that world system is our flesh. We are born a spirit, a soul, and a body. The body is that flesh, those carnal needs, those basic desires that we all have. Some are hormonal driven, some are driven by experiences, some are driven by just selfish wants and needs, but we have fleshly desires. The Bible doesn't say that we're not gonna have those. It says to put them under subjection or to allow your spirit, man, the spirit that's born in you first, the spirit that has been born again when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, how does a man get born again? and Jesus uh, explained to him the process. He asked, will a man go into his womb, his mother's womb again? And Jesus said, no, you'll be born of the spirit. That's your spirit being rejuvenated or regenerated, that we're born of the spirit when we come to Jesus. And in that, that spirit can override our flesh. But the next thing that we learn here is that there's also a different kind of wanting or lusting or pulling in our life, and it's the lust of the eye. This is the idea of unmet and, un, and, and unrealistic expectations. Unmet and unrealistic expectations, lust of the eye. We're pulled to this through advertising campaigns and the talk amongst friends and keeping up with the Joneses. We're pulled to this idea of unmet and unrealistic expectations, this lust of the eye. Now I watch it in my kids, my children, you know, they, they watch a little bit of TV in the evenings and now uh, this season of Christmas, they're just inundated with one commercial after another of all these new toys coming out for the holiday season. And the boys are not being, they're not being greedy when they say, I want that new toy. They just say, I want a new toy, dad. Look at that one, it's cool, it's awesome. The new commercial sold me, I want that new toy. And they're being drawn into the lust of the fla- to the lust of the eye. It's not a negative for them, but it can be a negative outworking in my life. In fact, there are moments where I catch myself and I think those little turds, look at all I've already done for them. They got toys and toys on toys. They don't need any more toys. Aren't they grateful for what what I've already given them? You know, it's kind of a hard conversation to have with a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. The three-year-old definitely doesn't get it. And the seven-year-old's just kind of working it out and figuring it out, what it is to be really grateful. And they're not being not grateful when they ask for these things. They're just looking for new experiences. But in my life, I can be pulled so far with the lust of the flesh that it can cause me to react. And in reacting, we put on the old sweater, we put on the Christmas sweater, we put on that faded garment that we've had for 20 years, but it's comfortable and we break it out every week winter because it's just, man, it's just what we go to. It's our comfy sweater. It makes us feel at home. Those are those emotions and reactionary things that we do based on stress. Now, I could let the stress get to me and think, boys, there's no way I can buy the $2,000 worth of presents for each of you at Christmas time. My goodness, do you even know what you're asking? And of course they don't. They're children. But I could allow that stress to mount, to mount, to mount, and then to react But we understand that if we put that stress under subjection, if we put away that ugly sweater, that that just common way of reacting, that we can react in a more positive way. And I can instruct my children and say, listen, guys, you get a few presents at Christmas, and we want you to make a good list, but we also want you to be thankful for what God's already done in your life. We want you to be thankful for what God's already blessed our family with so that we don't lose sight of the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas in the first place. But that lust of the eye, those unmet, unrealistic expectations can pull us towards behavior patterns that are just, they're the default. Default behavior patterns aren't wrong in and of, in and of themselves, they just are, they just are the way we are. But we can do what we can to curb those, and to change those, and to redirect those. So the first thing is the things we can change. There are things in this life in regard to our default behavior patterns and the lust of the hour, the being pulled into an area of unrealistic or unmet expectations that we can actually change our behavior and how we respond. We might not like it. We might not wanna do it because we wanna go to what's comfortable, but we can learn to change the default behavior pattern. See, Christmas has this tendency to amplify how you feel about your life. Because we're continually being told how amazing this time of year is, that if we feel any stress at all, sometimes it can derail us and it becomes a microcosm of what we feel the rest of the year when stress happens. See, I'm very convinced that people don't, they don't lose their dreams, they just lose hope. They just lose hope because they fall back to old behavior patterns and they just lose hope that they're ever going to get out of the cycle and so they're pulled by the lust of the flesh that things should be better, sorry, the lust of the eye, that things should be better, that the unmet or unrealized expectations in their life should be different and they should be experiencing something different. And rather than go after the goal, what happens is we lose hope and we draw back from what God's called us to, from what God's really planted in our mind and in our heart. So regardless of how you feel, anything that you can change Anything that you can change comes at work, at a level of work in your heart. And sometimes that word work is scary and it's hard. But when we experience something that's unrealistic, right, there's a goal that's put out in front of us based on the media. And this is one that I love all the time when we come to the first of the year. I love it every year, right? There's this piece of exercise equipment that comes out, right? and the guy using it is like super fit. You're like, yes, if I buy that $400 piece of exercise equipment in two months, I'm gonna look like that. You know, the question you should ask yourself when that commercial comes up is, what was he using before that product was ever on the market? Because he's probably been fit his whole life, but they don't tell you that. What they tell you is, look, you can have these results in three months. Sure, he let himself go a little bit, ate a few pieces of pizza, and then stopped eating carbs for four years. And I'm not gonna do that, ever. <laughs> but we see this unrealistic expectation that advertisers set in front of us or that life can set in front of us. We see these unreal, uh, unrealistic expectations and, and we, we, we just default to almost anger or frustration or we wanna hide because they're not met. The Bible says we can change those things There are unmet expectations, not that they're unrealistic, but we expect people to respond a different way to us. We expect love from someone and they're not showing it to us in the way we expect them to. We expect things in our job, we've worked hard, we've done the right thing, we've done everything we could to advance and we just don't seem to be advancing, and it's unmet, but it's not unrealistic but we can change how we react to these issues. We can change the internal feelings, the ugly sweater that we wanna put on that's warm and cozy. We can change the way we feel when these, when these expectations aren't met or they're unrealistic. Philippians chapter one and verse six says it this way, being confident that, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, our relationship with God actually has a finite ending, that someday we're gonna meet him. Our goal is human persons, we are chasing that day when we will finally meet Jesus, when we will be transformed, this body will die, fade away, our spirit and our soul will live forever, and that we will be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. We are chasing that day that we are so on par, so connected, so so in communion with Jesus that we feel almost this oneness. We are chasing that moment. And there's a sense of finality to that. Not that we won't live on past that moment, but as humans, that's the best we can see to. That's what all the gospel writers did in trying to fashion their version of heaven was to show us a day when we would finally meet Jesus as he is in his own realm, in heaven, in eternity, in the scope of eternity and we haven't done a good job of putting that into words, but we are chasing that moment. We don't know what life looks like past eternity. We don't know what life looks like once we hit heaven as our home. We have a vague idea, but we really don't have many details. So we're chasing that moment almost of finality, but the reality is that God began a good work in you. He will be faithful to bring it to completion. So what he's doing in our heart is telling us, there are things you can change. What you can change, I wanna help you bring to a sense of completion. I don't wanna leave you the way you are. See, just Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. He's doing everything within his power to help motivate you to real substantive change. He wants to see things change in your life to become more and more like Christ, to put away this ugly sweater, to put away the default patterns of behaving and being. And I wanna get maybe a little bit practical for a moment on this. So one of the best diagrams I've ever seen of the mind, and I really wanna talk about the mind, not the brain, the mind. It's very simple, it's just a circle. We can all imagine a circle. Draw a line through it, a single hemisphere, a line straight through it. On the top half, you have your conscious mind. On the bottom half, you have your subconscious mind. The Bible talks about this very clearly, and it says things like this, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as you believe in your subconscious, this is what you become. The Bible's really clear in the Old Testament uh, that it talks about a man being moved in his emotions or stirred in his emotions. It generally uses the term bowels. Now, first couple times I read that, I'm like, dude's gotta go to the bathroom. But that's not what it's about at all. It's about this idea that men that are moved in their emotional core are moved at a different sense. When it says in the Old Testament that they were moved in their heart, It's saying that they were moved in their subconscious, this emotionally resonant image that they held deep within them. That's what the subconscious is. Our conscious mind is our active mind, the intellect. That we can think on things and that we have a to-do list and that we have processes that we go through and that's the active conscious mind. But underneath that, buried deep in our mind, is this idea of the subconscious. That it holds a picture of who you are and the body is the acting agent for everything the conscious mind and the subconscious mind decide to make a reality. Now the funny thing is about the subconscious, it, it, it doesn't need anything to be real for it to think it's real. So you can experience something in your subconscious mind by by holding in there the image of what you want or the image of an experience with all the emotion as if it's actually happening. And the subconscious mind will think that's real. Again, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, it is a reality or a sense of reality. The, the conscious mind has to deal with facts and data. The subconscious mind has to deal mostly with imagery, pictures that we implant, and the emotion that would follow that. You guys following with me, tracking with me? Yeah. So here's the deal. When we are going to change something in our life, we have to take time the time that it takes to feed our conscious mind a new image of what we want, and then hold that in our subconscious mind long enough that it becomes a reality. This is why the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, that it's a repetitive action depending on how you want to translate that where the comma goes, it becomes a repetitive action that faith comes, our faith in Christ comes as we repetitively hear or or experience this process and we develop and we hear and we develop and we hear. What we're doing is feeding our subconscious mind a new picture, a new paradigm, a new understanding with new emotions and eventually our body will do what that subconscious says to do eventually our body will do what that subconscious is telling us to do. That's how the outworking of the subconscious works. We're gonna get into it in a little more detail in just a minute, but a story I forgot to tell first service and I'll tell this one. And some of you heard and some of you hadn't. But when I was in high school, I decided I wanna lose some weight. I need to do the same thing this year. But I decided I wanted to lose a little weight. I was overweight more than I needed to be. And in my high school years, I used to drive to school, stop by a little gas station, grab a box of Little Debbie snacks. I don't want any Little Debbies, because last time I said this, there were like 15 Little Debbie snacks up here, boxes. I don't want any Little Debbies. I'm just using it as an analogy, so stay with me. All right, so I used to stop by this convenience store and get a half, uh, what do you call that, a half gallon of milk and a box of these Little Debbie snacks. And I would eat every one in the box on the way to, to way to school and drink that half gallon. So of course, that's where the weight gain was coming from, at least one place. So my goal was that I tried to feed into my subconscious, I will leave one, one snack, one brownie in that box. Just one, just one. And until I could do that, I wasn't gonna move on to two and I had to feed it into my subconscious. I can do this, I can leave one in the box. The first day, I was like jonesing to get out of school. Like, I can't wait for class to be over so I can go eat that snack. Come on, Jesus. Like bell ring, let me get out of here and get into my car. But it worked over time. It was one snack, then it was two snacks, it was three snacks, then it was, I just didn't even stop at the convenience store. But it took the effort of holding within my mind the picture and the idea fused with emotion that I would stop this behavior. And eventually my body gave in and said, okay, we're not gonna do that anymore. This is how the Bible teaches us to retrain things that we can change in our life. In fact, let me grab the scripture here and if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter four and verse twenty-six. Every problem, every problem that or issue that we have in life, God is going to fix at the seed level first. Every problem we have, its fix starts at the seed level. So let me explain that. What does that mean? Well, in in Mark chapter four and verse twenty-six, he also said, "This is Jesus, the kingdom of God." This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed or the word of God into his heart. So it's the right seed, it's the right soil, it's the right environment. That a man scatters seed. Now we understand this principle here in the Midwest. We can drive down I-80 and see one farm field after another. We can see one cornfield after another, where men in the springtime, they're not gonna do it right now because the ground's too hard, but in the springtime, they will scatter seed. That seed will be uh, put into soil that has been tilled up and there'll be chemicals sprayed, hopefully good chemicals that are sprayed all over the soil and the ground so that that seed can have the best environment for it to grow. There are men that will spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on open, what looks like dead and arid fields. They'll get the soil tested to see the content and to what they need to do. This is the idea that we seed bed our heart, that any anything we want to change in our life starts with the word of God being a seed to change our heart, that's that conscious pattern of reaching our subconscious so that our body will finally do something different. So that the things we can change, that we have a pattern on how to fix. So go with me to verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he doesn't know how, it's talking about the farmer that it's not the farmer's job to decide how the seed grows. It's not the farmer's job to sit back and say, okay, seed, I wanna see you sprouting at just the right time. Okay, seed, I wanna see that case fall off at just the right moment. Okay, now we wanna create the best environment for the seed to grow, but it's not the farmer's job to manage the seed. It's the seed's job to manage the seed. It's the word of God's job to manage the effect of change in your heart and in your life. Too many of us are force-fed the word of God, and then we try to figure out, okay, God, how are you going to make this work? Stop doing that. Force-feed yourself the word of God. Feed yourself the word of God. Plant the seed bed on your heart and allow the seed to do its work. It doesn't happen overnight. The Bible's real clear here that he goes to bed day and night, day and night, and he doesn't even look to see how the seed is growing. He trusts that the seed can do its job. It's not about that we don't prep our heart. It's about the idea that we're not responsible. We are not responsible for the seed growing. The seed in itself carries the life it needs to produce an outcome in your heart and in your life. Let me grab the scripture here again. Turned it off there. So verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts sickle into it, because the harvest has come. This is Jesus explaining how the kingdom of God works. Everything in the kingdom of God, every time there's a change that needs to be affected in your life, it happens at the seed level. It happens at that level of distributing the word of God into your heart. It happens at that level of that subconscious level where we start to feed our subconscious a new way of living, a new way of being, a new way of understanding. The more we feed it, the seed of the word of God, the more it starts to germinate, grab roots and grow. Now this doesn't mean this, that you're gonna be a Bible scholar tomorrow. This doesn't mean that you need to rip open the word of God and just consume one page after another. That would be good, but for some of us, that would just be crazy reading exercises that would have no real practical outworking. Maybe for you, it's just learning one scripture. Maybe John three sixteen is the best scripture for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son His only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe that's the only scripture you need to rehash in your mind over and over and over again because it talks about the supremacy of God. It talks about the sacrifice of his son. It talks about the new life that's in Christ Jesus. Maybe that's the only scripture you need for a while. And that's the one, the seed that will change your life. I don't know what scripture it is for you. I don't know what word it is for you that God would bring to you. But I know this, that if you're not feeding the heart the word, even the things you can change won't change because you'll go back to that default behavior. The things that you could change in your life will never change if you don't seed bed your heart first with the word of God so that you can affect change because the word itself is working out its purpose in your life. So the thing, there's things we can change when it comes to the lust of the eyes when it comes to this idea that we are that we are met with unrealistic or unmet expectations that we can change how we perceive that we can change the feelings that we have in resulting of those unmet or unrealistic expectations that we can change our viewpoint or vantage point in life but it comes as we apply the seed the seed to the to our hearts I will say this, that seed bedding a heart is not like the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, where Jack plants a seed and boom, all of a sudden there's a stalk that raises to the heavens. In one evening, this massive tree is grown. That's not how the word of God works. It takes time to germinate, as we just read in the story or the reference of the scripture, that it takes time, day and night, day and night. It's not our job to kick the seed around and say, hurry up and get to growing, it's our job to allow the seed to do its work and to have its work in our life. Our job is to keep the seed growing and maturing and developing so that the things that need to change in our life, the things we can change, that we allow them the time they take to change. The next thing we need to talk about today, or the last portion, is the things we can't change. There are things that we cannot move under our own power There are things that no matter what we do, we're never going to change the outcome. One of those is very simple, that when we have the loss of a loved one, at Christmas time it's very obvious that sometimes there's an empty chair, there's a place where somebody should be, and they're not there. We can't do anything to change that. No matter how much we look to the past, no matter how much we go over and over and over the why did this happen, it won't change the fact that that person is not there. There are other reasons why someone might be missing from our holiday activities. Maybe a relationship is broken. Maybe a hard heart is on the other side of the table and you can't do anything you can to affect it. Maybe there's a relationship that's broken and you wish to God it was reconciled and put together. But the reality is that person still has a hard heart and you can pray to God and you can can do everything you can do to bring it before God and you should do that but the fact is they have to want to change their own heart. They have to want to change their own behavior. They have to want to change their own issues. And so that's something we have to learn how to give over to God. It's something we can't change in and of ourself. In and of ourself, it's not something where change comes easy. The lust of the eye or focusing on what we can't change should bring us to one or two conclusions. That Jesus is the resurrection and that Jesus is the resolve of all things. John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. This is Jesus speaking very clearly to this idea that things we cannot change, things we can't forcibly bring a change to, that if we trust in him, those that have gone on, those that have passed, we have hope, that they will find heaven as their home. And that for us, even the things in this world that we can't change can never steal away from us the hope we have in Christ. That can never steal away from us the hope we have in Jesus. That when this life is over and all the stuff that we couldn't muster enough, up enough strength on our own to change, that we can finally know is taken care of in the person of Jesus. That resurrection can happen because of Christ. There are things that at times are hard to choke down that it's hard that we can't change. Revelation 21 and verse four says it this way, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Here scripture is teaching us that when we put Christ first, when we put Jesus first in our life, that there are moments where the things we can't change might have caused us great pain, great depression, great anxiety, great hurt. And the Bible's real clear that even in those moments that Jesus can revive what was dead, but he can also wipe away the pain. He can also wash away the hurt, he can dry up, those watery eyes. If we'll do one thing, if we'll come to the cross and lay it at his feet and say, God, I have shouldered this burden long enough, there is something here that I just can't change. In my own power, in my own strength, I can't change it. God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. When we look at the idea of unmet unmet expectations or unrealistic expectations, there are two paths that we can take. This lust of the eye can take two paths. The things we can change the attitudes of the heart, the behavior patterns, the old sweats, the, the old ugly sweaters that we put on, that we go to that are, that are our default way of being, we can change some of those things. But there are other areas in our life that we can't change and we have to learn how to deal with life and stressful moments in, in either one of those, in either one of those paths. If it's something you can change, then start to seed bed your heart. Start to deal with your subconscious on what can actually change. Start to fashion a new you with the word of God so that you react differently, so that your expectations are different, so that things in your life go a different way because you're not the same old person that you've learned to react differently to the issues that life may bring and the stress that life may bring. But when stress comes and we know there's something we cannot change, It's an unrealistic or unmet expectation that we just can't change. It's not in our hands to change. We have to learn to give it over to Jesus. To understand that all the crying that we've done, all the pain that we've felt, all the issues that we feel, that in His hands, He will wipe it away. That in His hands, He will wipe our tears. He will wash away the pain. And the Bible literally says that all these former things, all the issues that we dealt with in this life will be washed away. There will be a moment where we are in Christ and all of the stuff that we've dealt with gets finally dealt with. There will be a moment that all the unrealistic expectations that flooded our hearts, all the unmet expectations that we've dealt with and all the things that we couldn't change will finally be laid at his feet and they won't matter anymore. I wanna encourage you today to find the path. Find the path. What in life can you change and what in, life can't, what in life can't you change? What in life do you need to give to Jesus and stop stressing over? And what in life do you need to seedbed your heart with the word of God so that you change? So that your outcome changes because you internally have changed. Decide in this maybe difficult, stressful time of Christmas, which way do you go? Which path do you take? You know, I think at times Christmas being that amplifier of good and bad, sometimes I think we try to overlook the bad. We don't want to we don't want to feel those tense moments. But at Christmas time, man, it's a great place for the ultimate healing to happen. Because what we celebrate is literally the person who can fix any problem you face, who can fix any issue that comes into your life, who can deal with any amount of stress that you may be facing. Literally, the person that's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in that manger, that little baby Jesus is the man who will grow up to decimate stress, to decimate these issues, to blot them away. We have to ask ourselves the question, What path do we need to choose? The things we can change or the things we can't change?